0: A Sunday night we were in the gymnasium and I shared some of the vision that I have for our church and where where we're going and some of the things that we are going to be doing. And uh, so we have, basically I've taken what we presented on that Sunday evening and I put it to scripture for the service series um, over these last few weeks. And in the middle of that we had Tom Thompson from World Help Missions here and he spoke a little bit on missions and uh, kicked off our summer around the world and I hope you've enjoyed that i know we 've had great turnouts on sunday evenings and uh, and i 've enjoyed it um, and I pray that you have and you 've gotten something out of that um, and don 't forget if you do have the baby bottles um, and if you 're looking at me going, "What are you talking about uh, last week we had women 's resource Medical Center here, and they um, gave out baby bottles and on the twenty eighth we 're going to recollect those so if you Um, put anything in there for the 28th, make sure that you bring it back by so that I can take those to them and um, they appreciate uh, the help there. But uh, (coughs) last week we started, or last week we were in love. And we've been in John chapter 15 for these, this uh, entire series, we've been in John 15, but last week we were in love and so we talked about loving one another, we talked about the only way to love is if we really go back all the way almost to the beginning of John 15, which is talking about abiding in Christ and, and allowing God to really be the vine and that we are the branches and, and as we are plugged into the vine... Then we can abide, then we can love, then we can do all the things that God has called us and and asked us to do. And really this entire series is based on that and as we, even as a body, as we as a church, when you are connected to your church, when you are involved in the community of your church and the family of your church and those types of things, and you're abiding in Christ and you're in the family of God, how it makes life a little bit easier as we go out. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't give you all the answers of everything that you ever wanted. I know we, we had the opportunity yesterday, or last Sunday right after the service to lead a gentleman to the Lord. And one of the things I've always shared with anybody that I have a chance to lead to the Lord is answers to life's problems just didn't get solved right here. Oftentimes people, you get saved and you think, all right, life is now over. It's easy and there we go. No, we have the answer book with Christ and we ha- or in the, in the Word of God, and we have all those things. But we still have to go through the everyday th- dealings of life. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But, but we had that opportunity last week to share with that gentleman. And, and it's now it's, it's, he's on a journey, but it makes it easier to be on that journey when you're plugged into your community It makes it a, or your church community. It makes it a whole lot easier when you live your life plugged into Christ. And so this whole series has really been based on that, abiding in Christ, and then we've used that phrase or this chapter on how we as a church will, will function and move in this community to do those things. And uh, if you've been following with us in John 15, you may have gotten to this point and tried to go, wait a second, now how are we going to get to share out of this passage? And we'll go through that this, this morning, but these next few verses are the complete opposite of love. And if you look in John 15, we'll be in verses 18 through the end of this chapter. But it says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And you're, you might be, man, how in the world are you going to get sharing the gospel out of the world hating me? Um, how encouraging is that? Hey, guess what? The world hates you. Um, but it's, it's not so encouraging. But I'm going to share with you this morning... Something that really just jumped out at me as I was studying, and how i can i 'm going to take this and, and uh, preach this this morning, but but as we talked about love, we talked about all these things. Jesus was teaching and telling his disciples all of what was going on, and throughout the course of the, the years that christ was was with the disciples, he was teaching them, and he was sharing with them different things and Here in this particular passage, as we come to John. 15 and verses 18 Jesus is sharing with them the reality of hey one day I'm going to be gone and when that day comes and when that happens the people that are around you aren't going to be loving you the way they think you're so great now and if you were to follow through with scripture throughout all of Jesus' walkings and, and all of his life on earth and the, the teachings and the things and then the time that he had with those disciples, you would see there was a, a number of things that, that he taught the disciples, but one of them he never really told them up until the, was, was this passage. Hey, you're not going to be loved by the world. And we'll get to that here in just a few minutes, but... But again, last week we saw a couple of things on love. The biggest one, one of the biggest things that we talked about was the example that Christ showed when he said that he had loved us. In verse number 12, it says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he was talking to the disciples and he was saying, Hey, it's, it's my commandment that you love each other just as I, Christ, have loved you. And how did he love us? And how did he love them? Well, he gave himself for them, and he did a number of things. But he later goes on to call us friends, as we, we learned last week, that he, he called us friends. In verse 14, it says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. And he talks, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. And so we learned a little bit about that last week, and the 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 challenge of loving one another. And I don't I don't really know. Maybe I'm just speaking out of turn, but I don't know about you. But I know for me, I like people to like me. I genuinely like people, and I don't like people to badmouth me. I don't like people to talk behind my back. I. I like for you to like me. Just be honest. And I would think that if most of you were really honest, you would say, yeah, I I like people to like me too. We live our lives wanting to make people happy and pleasing people. We live our lives making people want to like us. It's kind of our natural thing. You all came this morning dressed appropriately. I mean appropriately, I'm not looking out here and seeing people that are dressed in the 1940s and 50s and 60s outfits. Though some of that for some people is cool and hip today. I'm not into that, but that's whatever. But we dress according to the culture. We do things according to culture. And most of the reason why we do that is because if you were to wear the same clothes that you wore today that you wore 20 years ago. Now some of you may, and that's fine. But if you were to do that, people look at you and go, "That's kind of weird." They're so out of style, they're so out of date, they're so out of this. Your hairdos change, and all these things. Why do we do that? Because we naturally, we I want somebody to like me. You dress your kids and send them off to school so that they look somewhat normal with everybody else. Why? So that they'd be liked. It's natural. And now I understand, some of you, maybe not you, some people, I think it's their life's goal and desire and dream that nobody would like them. And maybe you know those people. But the reality is, we want people to like us. I want somebody to like me. We don't like for people to dislike us, we want for others to like us. Here we are warned, as Jesus was warning them, we are warned as well that outside, the outside world so to speak doesn't understand and doesn't necessarily like what we like when it comes to Christ we are hated is what scripture says in first john chapter number 3 in first john chapter 3 it says in verse number 13 it says this it says marvel not my brethren if the world hate you we are warned we're warned again and again throughout scripture That the world hates Christ and the world hates who God is and what we are. They had never been hated, the disciples. They were with Christ. If you go back throughout, think of through scripture and think of different times, how many times the disciples were with Christ and who was hated? Christ was. They didn't necessarily hate on the disciples. They went straight to the source and they hated on Christ himself. And there's a number of passages and I'm not going to go to each of them. But I wrote down in Matthew chapter 15 if you want to study it on your own. But in Matthew chapter 15 there was a passage there where the disciples were involved with some things. In John 18 and in John 21 again there is more where, where the disciples were involved. And instead of hating the disciples they hated christ and so many times throughout scripture that was the case today our mindset is different if you look around our churches today we want everybody to like us we want everybody to love us we ask question of of why i i don't know maybe maybe this is me but i don't know how many times for you you've just gone why is every other religion and faith accepted but mine Anybody ever asked that and just kind of thought to yourself, why is it I can watch the news and these people are blowing people up but they're praised as great. We try to tell somebody about Jesus and we're we're the devil. These people over here and these people over here and this faith and this faith and this religion and all these things and here we are trying to just love people and share Christ And we're hated. They don't make fun of any religion on television except for Christians. Because all these other groups will come and they'll get sued and they'll get this and they'll get that. But it's acceptable in our culture to make fun of my faith and your faith. Man, there's many times in my life I've gone, wait, (laughs) I don't understand it. But then when we read John chapter 15 it says if the world hate you you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so what we do as a church and what we do as people is we try to do the best that we can to make our environment friendly to those on the outside. We've created church that is is friendly for people that don't know the Lord. We've created ourselves, and we would say, Man, I don't want to be that super Christian guy, and I don't want to be that super Christian girl, and I don't want somebody to look at me and go, That dude is crazy, and that girl is crazy, and I don't want that reputation. And so we kind of change and alter who we are as Christians so that we're not made fun of or that we're not hated, so to speak, and all of these different things, all the while God's word tells us from the beginning. That if the world hates you, it hated me. Here's one of the things that I study and that I learned this week. The world doesn't hate me. The world hates the God that I serve. The world isn't after you. The world is after the God that you serve and the God that you say you love and the God that, that we love and serve. The problem with that is... You and I, as children of God, are His ambassadors, and therefore, we aren't liked. But just like the disciples, they didn't hate the disciples, they hated Christ. And this morning, you're going, how in the world does this have anything to do with sharing? What in the, where are you going with this? You've lost your mind. But we do all of these things to make the world like us. And they're never going to. One of the things we talked about last week was loving one another. And as we get into this morning, I'm going to tie this all together to to hopefully bring it together to make sense to you. But one of the things that we were told just prior to this passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, it talked all about loving one another as Christ loved us. And one of the things that I thought that I jotted down was this. Maybe Christ had a reason to teach to love each other, because He knew He was about to tell them they were about to be hated. How many of you have ever felt like you were the oddball in the midst of a crowd? I get that quite often. I've shared many times. I've people ask me, "What do you do for a profession?" And when you say you're a pastor, it gets very quiet. The conversation abruptly ends. It's like, man, I didn't do anything. You can talk to me. I'm still a normal person. We can have a conversation. Go Browns. You know, whatever. We can have that conversation. But there's many times where we feel like the oddball. Maybe it's in your Christian life. Maybe it's in your life in general. You've had different circumstances, different times, where the only people that you can go to are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe that for you is your spouse. Maybe that's a brother or a sister. Maybe that's an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, whatever that is for you. But the only person that you can go to that feel, that you feel understands who you are and where you are is somebody else that's going through the battle with you in Christ. And so I thought to myself as I was studying In verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command. And he goes on and on and on. In verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. And right after that, he says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Maybe, just maybe, God was saying... You're going to be alone in this world, and the world is not going to like you, and you're going to be out there on a limb, and you're going to be on your own little island out there somewhere, and you might want to grab a hold of one another that love Christ, because that's the person that you have to go to when you have nobody else. And there's going to be a time, I'll, I'll share very honestly, there's been many times in my life where my wife is my number one supporter. She's my biggest cheerleader. But there's been times in my life over the the course of the last nearly 11 years now that my wife did not understand the things that I was facing in the battle, and it was just me and God. But she was still there loving me, praying for me, encouraging me, walking the walk with me, and without people in my life that I love, that love me, that love the Lord... I don't know where I would be. And maybe you would say, yeah, I can, I can attest to that. Maybe it was a death in the family. Maybe it was an illness. Maybe it was something else. Maybe there was a major trial that you as, a, as an individual went through. And the people that you go to and you say, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can I bear my burdens on your shoulder a little bit? And not anybody else understands. I'm about to go home for vacation to visit some of my friends from high school and visit family and different things. But I know I can't share any of my burden with any of my friends because I know most of them don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when we get together and when we talk, the conversation is very, how are you? How's the family? How's the kids? Da-da-da-da-da-da. And that's really about it. That's the depth of that conversation. Because I can't share with them what I do, and what I go through. You can go to your brother and sister in Christ, and you have that, which to me is exactly why, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but exactly why I, I feel that God has given me what, what, where we're headed with our church, with our community, and growth, and family, and love, and then today being shared, because all of those things are things that we need, I need my church community. I need to grow spiritually. I need this family. I need to love one another and I need to be able to share God's love with other people to then bring them back through that whole process again and all of those things kind of intermingle and tie together somehow. But we as a body of Christ need all of those things and need each other to be a part of all of those things as we continue to move forward. Why? Because if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before and I've got to have you with me. And you have to have each other with you. And as we go out and reach into our community and do the things that God has called this church to do, we must understand that, yeah, let me share this. And this may come to a place where you might not like this, but the world out there, the community that, God, that I feel God has called us to reach right outside of our doors is going to love the things that we do for them. They're going to love that we're going to do a backpack drive and give a school some, some supplies for their kids. They're going to love that we're going to raise some support to, to help give some, some clothes to this school right outside of our doors that is a correctional school, that they need clothes. They're going to love all those things, and they'll partner along with us, and they'll say, yeah, that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and you guys do all these good things for the community. But the moment that we say, Jesus Christ died for your sins, is the moment that they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Because though they love what we offer them, And they'll partner with us to say, hey, those are good things. We'll give you some of this, and we'll give you some of that, and we'll do this thing with you and that thing with you. But when you say Jesus Christ died for your sins, whoa, sins, what are you talking about? I'm a sinner? I've now stepped on their toes, and they don't like that. They don't like the fact of what the gospel is. They love what we offer. They don't love what the gospel is. And in our society today, we live in a society that's about you and it's about me. Really, it's just about me. Not me, literally, but me, you. Because whatever I feel comfortable with is good. Last week, we had a lady that stood right here and shared her testimony of two abortions. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid if if you would have known that lady prior to walking through these doors and gone, that lady has two abortions? Are you kidding me? we'd have looked at her with completely different eyes. Even though that lady, a number of years back, would have said the same thing. Whoa, this is about my life. And right now, this isn't what I need, so I'm going to do this. And we sit and we listen in our cultural wars of of the same-sex marriage, and we listen to the cultural wars of abortion, and we listen to the cultural wars of all these things, and we go, bad, 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 bad. And the world is out there going, but... It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. This is my life. This is my decision. This is mine. This is mine. And even we inside of this church, we go, well, I guess it is about them. It's their life. It doesn't really affect me. And we shut ourselves off to these things. And we don't want to talk about abortion. We don't want to talk about same sex marriage. We don't want to talk about the things of the cultural wars because why? That's, oh, that steps on our toes. It gets quiet. That hurts feelings. Here's the reality. The society in which we live is a me society. Which is why over and over and over and over... We continue to... It's brought up every day. You can't listen to the news without hearing something about abortion or same-sex marriage. And I'm not trying to talk and bring those things up, but listen this is a society that is about us do you know what it's just as wrong and this is really going to hurt but it's just as wrong for a man and a woman to live in the same home and to sleep in the same bed and not to have had a a marriage because that's scriptural too and we don't like to talk about those things why? Because it steps on our toes and it hurts and it doesn't feel good and the world doesn't like it. And here is the problem. We just talked about love. Here is the problem. We oust all of these people and we throw them out. God's word stands firm on right and wrong. I believe wholeheartedly in that. I also believe that we love the person and not out, oust them. One of the people I would say is a, a, a mentor, not really a mentor, but somebody that I would look at almost as a hero in the faith for me. One of the things that he always said that I believe, I probably the biggest example of this more than anybody that I've ever seen in all my life would say, you love the sinner and hate the sin," And we've heard that. But the problem within most of our church walls is we've kind of put those together and we pretty much hate the sin and just kind of oust them. And it, it's too much, it's too awkward for me to bring them into my life when in all reality we need to bring them into our lives that they understand and accept where I stand without making them feel like a low third class citizen somewhere but loving them. But in our society, the society of hate that hates us, that hates the gospel, that hates all of these things, all of this is who you and I are dealing with. All of these things are the things that we as a Christian are dealing with. We far too often push it all aside. We must love people, but not accept the things that they do without making them feel like a third class or a lower citizen. And with some of these things, all these things being said, I'm going to bring you three short points this morning. Really the biggest part of my message uh, in in some aspect was the, the introduction. But three quick points here this morning. One of them is this. It's the, in, or the difference. In verse number 18 and 19, it says this, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The difference. What's the difference? I'm not of the world. You're not of the world. Listen, if you want to live your life and do all the things that everybody else does, then the world has no problem with you. But the moment that you stand up and the moment that you say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment that you stand up and the moment that you say anything Jesus Christ related and stand firm on who God is, you are now different than the world. And they don't like it. Why is it that when I go get a haircut, the guy says, so, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. I'm not going to stand there and preach. I'm not going to sit in the chair and tell them all about how bad they are. I, I would love to just have a normal conversation. How are you? Do you have a family? What sports do you like? Da-da-da, da-da-da. I would love that. But no, why? Because I, to them, am looked at as some creepy right-wing wacko guy that's now a pastor, and I'm going to say something. Why? Because I'm not one of them. I went and got my hair cut this last week, the most awkward, very long time that I had had. I went to the barber, and I felt like I was in the middle of a movie set, And there I was, and it was just person after person, kept walking in, and then they'd go out, and they'd walk in, they'd come out, and everybody, hey, what's up, dapping, giving high fives, and I'm like, just cut the dude's hair, I want a haircut, you know? But then I felt awkward, because I'd been sitting there for 20 minutes, I'm like, I just want a haircut, can you cut my hair? But I was in this whole thing, just felt on an island, and I really wanted to leave, but because of... Me, I guess, I just, I don't, I don't like to just like go, does anybody go to the restaurant and then you, you sit there for a couple minutes, you're like, I really don't want this, and walk out and leave? I feel really bad doing that. Some of you are like, I don't care, I didn't want the restaurant, so I walked out. But anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is awkward. The things that they were talking about, the things that was going on, every part about that, I did not feel a part of that group. I was out there. I felt strange. You know, as a Christian, there's many times we should feel strange, but we don't. Because we are not, we are, we become, basically, of the world. They hated him before us. We should have confidence in knowing this, that our Savior went through and suffered each and everything and more than we will ever face. He's been through it. And what did he do? This is what he did. And this is what... You and I are to do. He abided in his Father and did what? The will of his Father. Do you know when I am living my life and doing the things that I know I should do and and dealing in, in the right manner, I don't have as many worries and troubles as I do when I'm trying to maybe live a little bit of, as we would say, on the fence. If we look at Christ and we look through some of these things, who did, what did Christ do? Christ came. He lived a sinless life. And who hated Christ the most? The religious. The religious elite were the ones who hated Him the most. Why? Because He came and stood for right. He stood for truth. He did what, what His Father had called Him to do. And they didn't like it. Because they were the elite. They were the ones. Just like today in our day and age, people don't like that. They don't don't want us to to be able to go in between them and and talk normal and do all these things. The religious crowd was the most hateful towards Christ. We We are hated because we are not of the world. We are called out of the world, go out, act like the world. And they will gladly accept you. But when you stand up is when they will say. Why? They don't understand. They don't understand who you are. They don't understand what you, what you stand for. Sadly enough, within even our own church body, within our youth group, within youth groups all around this body, or all around this valley, all around this country, all around the world, inside of our churches. Man, that person over there, Fanatical. They're a little bit too crazy. The teenage kid that goes to church that lives for Christ gets made fun of because he's at church living for Christ. The person, the adult that's in our pews that, are, that come to church that does everything they can to live for Christ is the one that we all go, they're a little too much. Man, it's within our churches. It's within. Why? Because it's convicting to be around somebody. That is living the way that you should be living, and you're not. And so, the easiest thing to do is that we kind of make fun of them. We pick at them. We call them fanatical. We call them all these different things. The world hates the idea of Jesus' perfect life, the idea of, of that means it means something. Just like I just said, if I'm with somebody that I know has a better Christian walk than me, oftentimes it's easier for me to just kind of pick on them and say they're crazy and they're fanatical and they're way out there than it is for me to say they're just falling, they're on fire for God. Instead, I, I get guilty and just like the world. That means that there's somebody bigger than them. That means that there's, there is, is something that I can't live up to. That means that there's all of these things that are out there to an unbeliever, and many of you were there until you understood and it was brought to your attention. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, it says this, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. It says the fellowship of his sufferings. The joy of a Christian is this. That we can know the power of his resurrection, but that also we can fellowship with him in the sufferings. We should take pride in that. The challenge of this point, the difference is this. We are to be different, but it shouldn't be as Jesus taught. If you go back to how Jesus taught, what he he was teaching on prayer, and he said what? What? Hey, don't just go stand out there and say, hey, everybody watch. I'm about to pray. I'm about to say something really special. He said not to do those things. He said what? Instead, go pray into a closet. He said if you're going to fast, don't go and tell everybody, oh, man, it's been days since I've eaten. I'm fasting for Jesus. If you give, the right hand shouldn't know what the left hand gives, right? Right? So if I'm to be different, I'm to be different and not in the group of the crowd and be like, hey, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. I don't have to make myself stand on an island and look like a moron. But I can live my life and I can be different. And guess what? When you live your life and you live your life different, there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that may talk about you. There's going to be people that say things and act ways and treat you differently. But when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight or that night, you can lay your head down and say, you know what? I pleased my Heavenly Father and I can fellowship in His suffering. Because why? Because I abided in the vine. I abided in Christ And because of that, whether you like it or you don't, you are different than them. Because that's what we're supposed to be. Jesus didn't come and mingle. He mingled, but he didn't come and live like them. He was different than them. He abided in his Father. The second point is the reason. In verse number 21 we see it says, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had, not had, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin, or they have no excuse for their sin. But he says this, for all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Why? Because they know not him that sent me. They don't know the Father. They don't understand it. They don't, they don't grasp that in their minds. They know not Him. They didn't like His sayings. They felt condemned. They didn't measure up. They didn't and don't want the truth. Again, I shared with you in my introduction. We can go out there and we can partner with people and we can give people school supplies and food and feed homeless and do all these things. But the moment you present truth, you've stepped on people's toes because our society says and has said for years and years and years and years and years i am truth it's whatever's in my mind that's it's it's me i'm truth i can do what i want this is my life god's word says differently first john chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says this they are of the world therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them we are of god he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of air it says in verse 6 we are of god he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us they don't understand it it doesn't make sense the biggest thing that caused Jesus to forewarn the disciples was that he came to f- and fulfilled that which he came to do. He came to do the will of his Father. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to live a perfect and sin- sinless life. Most importantly, he came to honor and to glorify his Father. Over and over throughout Scripture, even when Jesus was about to be um, dying on a cross, he said, Take this cup from me. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Man, how many times have we went to bed, or how many times have we went to pray and say, God, why? God, I don't understand. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why? God, this. God, that. And we we pity, pity, pity. Poor me. Do we then end it and say, not my will, God, but your will be done. Am I here for me or am I here for him? Am I here for me or am I here for him? The reason that the world hated Christ was because he came, lived a sinless life, but more importantly, he glorified his Father. And it said there in that passage that they knew not him that sent him. When our lives are to bring honor to the Father, we give reason for them not to like us. We are different. We are able to be looked at as different. If there's anything that I've learned in my life with this kind of a thing was when I live my life to honor and glorify Him, you can say what you want, they can say what they want, People will say what they want. You may be in the midst of this or you may be in the midst of that, but you may be different. But in the midst of all of those things, the one thing that people can never do and do it seriously is question your character, question your integrity, question your heart, question that those things don't change. Live your life for Christ. You're going to be doubted. You're going to be questioned. People will do all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, your character is still your character. And they can lie and they can say all the things that they want to say. But people will go, no, that's not who that is. No, I know that person. And that's not what they've done. No, I know this person and that's not who they are. No, I know this person God protects His own. It is not up to me to go out there and say, hey, no, Aaron is this, and Aaron is, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, God will protect based on what? His scripture, His word, but He does that through your character, your integrity, who you are as a man and who you are as a woman. I believe that wholeheartedly, that as we give reason, there's many pastors who have stood and who have been condemned for preaching the things of God's word. But when you truly question their character, they can go, well, he's always, that's who he's always been and he's always straightforward. It always comes back. Why? Because God protects that. God protects that. Verse 22, it says, that if I had come, not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak or no excuse for their sin. He came if he hadn't, they'd have not known of the need of a Savior. Think about this, you would never have known the need of your Savior if he didn't come to expose the sin in our lives. He started that way back in the Old Testament times. As he gave and writ, wrote laws through the, in the Old Testament so there was that, that, that thing, we're not perfect, we have sin in our lives and we need a Savior. If we never knew we were wrong in something, we can honestly say, I don't know. Have you ever just been dumb to something and be like, I didn't know. Honestly, I never saw this, I didn't know it, blah, 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 whatever it would be, and you could honestly say that. But then when you try to lie and say, well, I didn't know that. They have lie detector tests because our heart pounds deeper. They, have, they can look at your eyes and if you look certain ways and they say you're lying and da-da-da, all this stuff. But man, when I'm lying, it's pretty obvious most of the time. Most people give themselves away when they become liars. You get guilty. You get that guilty feeling and all those different things. Man, that's... Jesus came and exposed the sin in our lives from his perfection And the truth. Because we need a savior. What he did was give no excuse. Or what it says in the passage there. The cloak. That they would have no cloak or no excuse for their sin. The last point is this. Is the power. As we look at verse 26 and verse 27. I know I've kind of skipped through some of these verses here. But it says, but when the comforter is come... Whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. There's going to be a day, he was basically telling them, listen, I'm going to be gone, and there's going to be a comforter. The Holy Spirit is going to come when I'm gone. And you're going to have that comforter. You're going to have that helper. You're going to have that to live your life. The living of the Christian life isn't necessarily easy Christ tells the disciples when the comforter comes he will testify of me the helper will come the Holy Spirit has come to help you in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 it says when ye receive power and then after that the Holy Spirit we live as a Christian you and I live those who know Jesus Christ your Savior with a comforter or a helper with you We live with an internal power that no one out there lives with. We have all of those things within us. And it talks about the helper over and over in John chapter, in John, we can go through. I'm not going to read all these verses for sake of time, but in John 14, it talks about the, the Holy Spirit coming that would be an indwelling presence, that he would abide with us forever. Then we see in John 15:26 the comforter coming. And in John 16, if we were to go the next chapter over, it says in John chapter 16, I'm going to read a few verses here, but starting in verse number 7, it says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now." Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are Mine. Therefore said I, that He shall take of Mine, and shall show it unto you. This whole passage talks about the the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper that is with us, that's going to show us the things, that's going to teach us, that's going to do all these things. He is with us in our lives every single day. We must understand and empower the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is from us giving our lives to Him. I empower the Holy Spirit to live in me as I give of myself every single day to Jesus Christ and say God today my life is yours take me and use me give me the strength give me the power help me comfort me I give the Holy Spirit the freedom to abide in me to live in me to give me the comfort again this all goes back to John chapter 15 at the very beginning speaking on abiding I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. And as we go through this in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. As we look at these things, when I abide in Christ... We've learned this throughout from this, this series, but when I abide in Christ, I'm able to be a part of that community. When I abide in Christ, I can grow. When I abide in Christ, I will love. When I abide in Christ, I will face the world, the hate that they give to me. I will face all of those things. Why? Because when I'm abiding in Christ, he says that he sent the comforter to live in me, to abide in me, to help me, to give me power, to give me strength, to face the world in which we have to face. And when we go out inside of this community, we go outside of these doors and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and share by loving on people and share by loving each other and share and do all the things that we've been called to do as a Christian. The Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's comfort, the Holy Spirit is the helper that allows us to face the world that hates us, that allows us to face the world that will say, Christianity is this and Christianity is that and you are this and you are that. No, we have the Holy Spirit that comforts us and guides us and empowers us to do exactly what he called us to do in Matthew 28, which is go and to teach and to baptize into all nations and we can do that only because the comforter has came to help us and to do all that he has called us to do i shared this morning that maybe the most awkward presentation of sharing but i feel that oftentimes we go out into the world and we expect one thing and then we get mad when they shut the door in our face We turn on the news and we get mad because they're bad-mouthing who we are. We watch a a, a, a TV, a network sitcom, or whatever it is, and they bad-mouth Christianity. And we're always the butt of every joke in that stuff. And we get angry. If they did that to that religion, it'd be all over the news. If they did that to those people, it'd be everywhere. Lawsuits and this and that. And I say that, and I challenge you with that this morning to say this. verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated him. It hated me before it hated you. Oftentimes we go out into the world ready to face it. Then we get blindsided. I'm going to close with this. I've been reading a, a book. My wife and I have been reading a book. And this chapter is entitled, Sow a Seed. And I'm just going to share with you a couple things. I'm going to wrap it together, and we're going to be done this morning. But a sequoia tree. I'm going to mention a couple trees or a couple different seeds, and I want you to bear with me for just a minute here. but a sequoia tree can measure more than 20 foot wide and 300 foot tall, their roots going about 12 feet deep into the ground, and can stretch as many as about 80 feet in diameter. Each tree starting with just a small little seed, and then each tree containing and giving off more than 400,000 seeds every year. A watermelon. A watermelon, it's summer. Figure figured that'd be good. A watermelon has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself more than 200,000 times its weight. How does it then go into the different colors? Think about the outside of the watermelon and the, 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 the textures and all those things. But It goes into the different colors that are within the watermelon. You've got the greens and the different colors on the outside. And then you've got the white rind on the inside. Then you've got the pink or the red watermelon. Then you've got these deep black seeds that are within. A mustard seed. When you see the seeds, you couldn't imagine what they could become. A mustard seed contains all the nutrients you and I would ever need to survive Inside of a mustard seed is B1 vitamin, B6 vitamin, vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin K. It has a source of calcium, of iron, magnesium, of phosphorus, potassium, selenium, and zinc. And then here's where I'm going to tie this together and we'll be done this morning. Faith is similar. Faith doesn't look like much but goes a long way. And I want to, want to share this little story with you and I'm going to kind of just read it from here, but a man was about to plant a carob tree and was asked how long it would take for that seed to take root and produce fruit. The man replied and said, well, it could take roughly 70 years. The man looks at him and says, do you think you'll even see the possibility that you would even see that fruit produced? The other man said, "Why?" he said, well, Quite possibly, I probably won't see any of it. The other man said, well, why would you plant the seed that you'll never even see grow and produce anything? And the man said, when I was born, I found many carob trees my father and grandfather had planted. And just as they planted those seeds for me, I want to plant them for my children and for my grandchildren. And I don't know if this makes sense But as I was reading, as I was studying John 15 at the end of that chapter, oftentimes the time that it takes to produce, we get frustrated. Man, why is it taking so long? It's not what we wanted. We plant this seed, and we don't want to wait 70 years to see the fruit. Man, I want to see fruit now. But just like this gentleman said to the other man, my father and my grandfather planted these trees that I got the privilege of, of seeing and enjoying. I want my children and my grandchildren to do that. We are told to go make, make disciples. It is our job to only be willing to go and to tell, to do by faith all that we can do. And at that point, it is up to Christ to produce the fruit as we have done all that we can do. We get scared so often because of rejection. Can I ask you this? As an individual, as a church, what if Oasis did not get worried and did not get scared about the hate, about the rejection, but was willing to plant a tree for our children and for our grandchildren?